All right, it's time for us to get started tonight, if we can, please. I want to, uh, I want to begin tonight by uh, mentioning if you need to partake of the Lord's Supper and you weren't able to do so this morning, uh, just make your way back to the uh, nursery, the little chapel. I said nursery, didn't I? But little, I said little chapel, though, but that's fine. And you'll be served there, so you're welcome to go ahead and do that. All right, books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Yeah. 
I can't think of anything better to do on a, a Sunday evening than being here to study God's Word, to be together as God's people. We're glad you're here, and especially if you're visiting with us uh, tonight. Just a couple of announcements that I want to reemphasize from this morning. Uh, the gospel meeting is going on this week at the Burnsville Congregation. Uh, we plan to take the bus tomorrow night. We'll leave at 6.15. If you've never had the chance to hear Brother Philip Hines... Uh, he's one of the best, and uh, this will give you that opportunity. So you're welcome to go or ride the bus with us at 615. I will remind those of the golden circle of our luncheon this coming Tuesday at 1130. I believe that's all the announcements that I have. Uh, before our uh, song to, for the teachers to go to class, will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for all you do for us. We're so thankful for your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, there are many, many on our sick list, those that are dealing with various kinds of illnesses and sicknesses. Father, we pray that you would be with them and uh, those uh, medical uh, people that are dealing with uh, them and assisting their needs. Please bless them, Father, and also continue to be with those who've lost loved ones, continue to provide them comfort and strength. 
Father, again, we're so grateful and thankful for this congregation of your people. We're thankful for each one uh, who's a part of God's family here. We pray that you'll bless this church, that it will continue to grow uh, not only spiritually but numerically as well. Bless our elders and deacons and the Bible class teachers and all who work diligently uh, to try to glorify your name in this community. Father, be with us as we go to class tonight. Uh, may we always honor you in all that we do. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, for the teachers to go to class tonight, let's sing the first verse of 469. Faith is the victory. 469. We camped along the hills of light. Solitude rise and brush the battle there tonight. I was just admiring how Lutheran this Joe match. Have y'all noticed that down here today? If there's any hummingbirds that got in here, they'd be flocking to y'all, wouldn't they? I don't know why my, my mouth is very dry tonight. I, I can't figure it out. I've drank, huh? I don't know what the deal is. But anyhow, we are so glad you're here tonight. And uh, we're going to finish up or start finishing up our study here over the next uh, two or three weeks as we come to the end of July. I cannot believe it's almost the end of July. Uh, thank you. Uh, I just can't believe that. Time is just, I mean, school starts back here August the 4th, I understand. It's just amazing how this year has just gone by. And uh, I guess that's going to be life from now on. Uh, it is like a vapor. But I want to express my appreciation to you for being here tonight. Uh, before we get started tonight, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings tonight upon our study. As we think about marriage and the importance of marriage and our obligations uh, as husbands and wives toward one another, may we always have the attitude that 
we're going to do what your word would have us to do, and we're going to be more like your son uh, each and every day in our character. Bless us in our study tonight, Father. May we endeavor to apply some things that we learn to our lives, and may we always glorify you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. As we begin tonight, I want to tell you about a, a woman here. A woman was arrested for stealing a can of peaches. I don't know if you read about that. She stole a can of peaches from the supermarket, and uh, she pled guilty to the charge. The judge asked the lady how many peaches were in the can, and she said six. He said, I'm going to sentence you to six days in jail, one for every peach that was in that can. Well, there was a small hempeck man way back in the courtroom that raised his hand, and, you know, the judge recognized him from the bench and said, who are you? You know, do you have something to say to the court? The man replied, I'm the woman's husband, Your Honor, and I think you ought to know that she also stole a can of peas. <laughs> so, anyhow. Do what? Well, anyhow, thought you might like that. All right. As we're talking about marriage uh, tonight, we've talked about in this particular lesson the importance of having the right spiritual foundation. And that foundation is God. Uh, nothing is really going to last unless it's built upon that solid foundation. And it's a struggle uh, to build on that firm foundation. Just like it takes discipline uh, to be a Christian, to be a child of God, to be faithful. Uh, it requires the same kind of discipline as husband and wife to also have that kind of discipline. We've also talked about a healthy physical relationship, and we talked about various aspects of that and the importance of realizing our responsibility as husbands and wives when it comes to our physical relationship. Uh, we began uh, last time talking about the importance of communication and how communication contributes to a happy marriage. Communication is very, very important. And uh, I guess this is one of my major uh, faults in life with my OCD and that kind of thing, you know. Uh, sometimes my mind's always thinking, you know, two miles ahead and not what's going on now so much. But uh, uh, communication is very, very important. Uh, it is so important because it kind of it keeps the life uh, flowing uh, in that particular relationship. We talked about uh, last week what hinders uh, a good communication. We mentioned several things. Uh, for example, we talked about how overcommitment uh, can hinder good communication. We become so busy with our schedules that we fail to take the time to communicate properly. We also talked about a couple's unkind criticism uh, of one another, that can lead to poor communication. And uh, it can uh, manipulate uh, the marriage relationship. And, you know, you try to manipulate change in that fashion, it won't succeed. The third thing we mentioned was a misguided interest in material things. That can hinder communication. And uh, if we are all caught up in wanting material things and we're focused on this world and the goods of this world, 
then we're not going to be properly ready to uh, focus and communicate those things that need to be communicated in the marriage relationship. We're always going to be want, uh, wanting more. There's going to be a trap there. You know, a man's life uh, does not consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. Uh, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, right? He that loveth abundance with increase. And if our focus is on material things, uh, that's going to be a great hindrance to communication. Now, as, the, uh, as we finished up last week, we were beginning to discuss some principles that a couple can apply that will enhance communication in the marriage relationship. This is something that we need to work on. Uh, these are some principles that I believe can help us. Number one, uh, the couple should approach every discussion with a good, positive attitude, remembering the power of their words. And so we need to communicate about something, and as we do that, we need to think about our attitude. We need to think about approaching it from the standpoint of being positive. We need to think about the words that we speak. In Proverbs 18 and verse 21, the wise man said, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, the tongue is something that's very destructive. James says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. You know, you think about uh, this time of the year and uh, probably other times of the year as well, out west where uh, those, uh, just a spark or something can cause a, a fire that can just get totally out of control, destroy thousands and thousands of acres in no time. Uh, they even have what we call a fire-nado uh, that happened there a couple, three years ago, uh, a tornado that's strictly, it's fire is what it is. Those things uh, move rapidly uh, through the California region and other regions of the West, and uh, it doesn't take much to destroy a whole lot, does it? And so the tongue is like that. It's a fire. It's a world of iniquity. And so death and life are in the power of the tongue. The words that we speak... The words that we say can either lead to death or they can lead to life. Uh, they can communicate something positively or negatively. Uh, they can hurt or they can build somebody up. And we have to realize the power that we have in the words that we speak. Uh, those things are very, very important. You go over to Proverbs chapter uh, 15. And verse 1, and uh, the Bible says there, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You know, what happens when you have road rage? What happens when you see that? Well, somebody did something, you know, that probably they shouldn't have done. Maybe it was an accident. One word is spoken here, and one word is spoken there. And before you know it, things are totally out of control, and... A lot of times, you know, guns are used. Instead of using harsh words, things could be calmed down. Any situation probably could be calmed down if we just simply used a soft answer, used kindness in the words that we speak. Verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. 
The eyes of the Lord in every place, keeping the watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You know, as we read in the, in the Bible over and over again about the words that we speak in our tongue, I think it just ought to impress us tremendously, uh, the power that we possess in the words that we speak. You know, it doesn't take much to do a lot of damage, does it? Uh, once you speak those words, they hardly can be taken back again. You know, it's like a feathered pillow. You know, you go out in the wind and uh, cut open a feathered pillow, those, those feathers are going to fly everywhere. Now, can you go back and pick all those feathers up? You can try, but you can't, right? That's like our words. Once our words are spoken, they're out there, right? Now, we may wish we hadn't said those words and try to correct them, but the damage is still done, isn't it? The damage is still done. So we need to watch the words that we speak. And uh, when couples approach uh, their discussion, they need to think about the words that they speak. And I think that's very, very important. Proverbs 25 and verse 11 is a very familiar passage. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and in a setting of silver. Apples of gold and pitchers of silver. That's, that's a beautiful picture, a word picture of what words can do. A word that's fitly spoken. A word that is spoken in the right time. And in the right way. And, and, and it's sometimes not what we say, is it? It's how we say it, you know. Uh, I believe if, if somebody knows that you genuinely care about them, you probably can say most anything you want to say to them, provided you do it with the right attitude and do it in the right approach, you know, in meekness, in gentleness, uh, with concern about how it's being received. And, and that's very, very important. So that's number one there. That's the first principle. Approach every discussion with a good, positive attitude. Secondly, a couple must remember that actions like, for example, silence or body language or gestures that you use, even your posture, often can speak louder than words. You know, I catch myself doing this sometimes when my wife mentions something that I really don't want to think about right now. Well, you got anything to say about that? You know? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, silence can, can mean a lot, can't it? Uh, sometimes just our little gestures can, can say a lot in regard to uh, our communication. Thirdly, a couple must strive to be active listeners. Uh, this is something that you have to work at. It's something that you have to determine to do. Uh, they need to work to hear the meaning of the words through the tones used, and the expressions, and the body language. James 1.19 said, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I always have taken that to mean you need to listen twice as much as you talk. And uh, we need to endeavor to listen uh, to the meaning of the words, uh, the tones in which those words are expressed. Sometimes just the tone of one's voice can let you know what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And, uh, you know, sometimes I know men, men are not very good, at least I'm not, in reading between the lines, right? You know, you, you say something, well, you should have got the point I was making, right? No, 
You've got to tell me directly sometimes. You know, tell me straight out, you know, what you mean uh, instead of uh, what you want me to assume that you think, I think you mean. But uh, we need to think about that. Number four, a couple needs to verify what they hear by asking questions. You know, if we don't understand somebody clearly, we need to be willing to ask a question about that. Am I understanding what you're trying to relate to me? This is what I hear that you're saying to me. Is this true? And a lot of times, miscommunication can be avoided if we will just clarify uh, some things in that regard. Fifthly, a couple needs to select their words carefully and be specific in what they say. Uh, Proverbs 12 and verse 18 says, uh, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, some people are, it's like, you know, thrusting a sword in, in you uh, by the words that they speak. They're just very harsh. You know, you know, there's some people just like that, right, that you may have worked with or you know from time to time. Uh, they're just always harsh. I think about uh, one lady, a, a preacher just moved to work with this particular church, and on the way out, she told the preacher, Preacher, I just want you to know that my talent is that I always speak my mind on any subject. That's my talent. And the preacher said to her, ma'am, I don't think the Lord would really mind if you went out and buried your talent. And uh, I, I think there was a lot of truth in that, a lot of truth in that. So, uh, you know, we need to think about the things that we say and uh, think about how those things are worded. And, you know, we need to avoid being rash and harsh in the words that we speak. Uh, the next point I want to make is that a couple must accept the feelings of others without condemning them. In other words, usually in communication between husbands and wives, it's a matter of opinion, right? And so we need to be very sensitive to the feelings of our husband or our wife as we communicate. Uh, we need to try to understand why one may be feeling this way or that way and you know, why do you feel so strongly about this? And why do not, I not feel that strongly about this? And so we need to accept the feelings of others and not just come down upon them as if their feelings uh, don't matter. Uh, it's kind of like, I guess, raising children. You know, when we see the problems that children have, they seem so minute to us, don't they? But let me tell you something. If a problem's a major problem to you, it's a major problem, isn't it? Right? To you it is. And so we need to be careful not to minimize uh, the feelings of others as we communicate uh, our feelings one toward another and be sensitive uh, to those things. Seventh, I think it's imperative that a couple be completely open and honest in what they say. Uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 12 and verse 17 says, Whosoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are a delight. Now, what happens when a couple is not willing to be honest and open and share how they really feel about something? What can happen as a result of that? 
What can happen as a result of, of uh, you not sharing how you really feel about something and yet it's still going to transpire? What happens? Feel resentment? Well, the trust, no, that's your fault, though, see. You didn't express your true feelings about it. You kind of kept it to yourself. Uh, you know, resentment uh, can take place, right? Uh, all right, can blow up, you know, as the longer it settles and so forth. You know, sometimes, you know, even in a, in a public setting or in, in a church setting, somebody may ask you, how do y'all feel about this? Well, this is what we're going to do. How do y'all feel about it? Well, we could go ahead and decide to do it, but you didn't say what you really felt, right? Man, they'll go out and talk about it and bicker about it and fuss about it. When you had your opportunity to express your feelings about it, you didn't do it. And so that can cause a lot of problems. It can cause a lot of friction. And so couples need to feel like that they can be completely open and honest in what they say, uh, knowing that if they express their true feelings that, it's not going to hurt the relationship. It's going to strengthen it. Uh, we're going to put things out on the table just like they are. This is how we feel. Uh, this is the way we see things. I think that's very, very important. Number eight, a couple must never resort to nagging or criticism in their efforts to communicate. Uh, you know, just keep on about something. You know, you're just going to nag them to death until I get my way about it. I like what uh, Proverbs 21 verse 9 says. It says it's better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. What does that mean? Huh? You did, huh? I thought it was in the Bible. All right. You think about that. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in the house with a quarrelsome woman. What that saying is, you know, I, I don't know how your corners are on your rooftop, but, you know, that's pretty bad when it's better to be on, up there, you know, on a hot sunny day than it is to be in the house where it might be cool with a quarrelsome woman. And that goes both ways. So we don't need to always be nagging and, and criticizing one another, always finding fault, and, you know, it's just a continual barrage uh, of criticism about some particular problem. Number nine, though, a couple must learn to respond to what is said and not become defensive. You know, it's easy to become defensive, isn't it? When something is said to us, maybe we take that personally. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory, it's his glory to overlook an offense. You know, we don't need to be so thin-skinned. I think that's true in the church today. Uh, if I'm a Christian, it ought to be hard to offend me. Uh, you know, there's some people, it seems like you just have to, it's like walking on eggshells, right? You know, you just got to watch what you say and how you say it. Some people are just so easily offended by the slightest little thing or the slightest little word, or maybe even an expression. And we need to avoid being defensive when we disagree with what is being said and uh, just not take it personally. As I always say, it's water off a duck, duck's back. You know, take it that way. Uh, don't be offended sometimes by 
what people may say. I have people come to me sometimes, and they'll say, I hope I didn't upset you by what I said the other day. Well, you have to remind me what you said. I don't know what you said, you know, about this or that. It's good that we're aware of what we say, and we need to be careful about what we say, but at the same time, we ought not be so easily offended. It ought to be difficult for us to offend one another. And as Christians, when we do offend one another, if somebody offends me, I need to go to that person. I think that's the least obeyed command in the Bible. If, if I offend you, you have to come to me. I may not know that I've offended you. But a lot of problems could be solved very easily. A lot of divisions could be avoided if people just simply did what the Lord commanded here uh, regarding uh, personal offenses and that kind of thing. And so whenever we're talking about something in our marriage relationship, uh, don't take it personally regarding what is said. Now, the last one is, before we move on, a couple must always be genuine and sincere. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 and verse 5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. In other words, it's better just to say what's on your mind than just to keep it hidden all the time. I, I need to be genuine and sincere in what I say. And uh, as long as I'm always genuine and sincere in what I say, then it's going to come across in the right way, but, you know, if I am a person, as uh, the writer of Proverbs says, you know, if I'm not open to rebuke uh, or whatever, then it's going to cause a lot of problems in the marriage. So uh, that's communication. That's what I want to emphasize. Good communication. You've got to have the proper foundation. You need to help, have a healthy attitude uh, toward the physical relationship. Then also it, communication is vital to the success of a marriage relationship. Any comments on that before we move on? Before we move on. All right. The next point I want us to begin talking about tonight is good attitudes. Attitudes that contribute to a happy marriage. These attitudes are necessary. They're vital if we're going to have the kind of relationship that will lead to joy and happiness. And there's several attitudes that I'm going to refer to here. There's probably some more that you might think of. And if you do, I encourage you all to speak up. The first one I want to mention is a forgiving attitude. A forgiving attitude will contribute to a happy marriage. Now, you know as well as I, when somebody is one that always harbors grudges and ill will toward people, that's, a, that's an awful burden to bear, isn't it? Isn't it an awful burden to continually hold a grudge uh, towards somebody. Uh, I think about a man uh, that I'm familiar with who's over 80 years old, and uh, he simply won't forgive another individual in the church of something that happened over 40 years ago in regard to the building of a church building. It's just as much on his mind now as it was back then. He just can't get over that resentment and and those two are at odds over something that is totally insignificant. And so we need to have an attitude that we're going to be forgiving toward our husbands and our wives, uh, recognizing that we're all human beings, that we have our faults. You know, forgiveness, I think, is best defined this way. 
by observing what God does when he forgives. If I think about what God does when God forgives me, then I think that's the greatest way to understand what forgiveness actually is and how it ought to behave itself. First of all, when God forgives us, he completely removes the offense from his record. Uh, Acts 3 and verse 19 is a beautiful passage. Repent ye therefore and be converted. I think you could parallel that to Acts 2 and verse 38. Peter said what? Repent, be baptized for the, for, for the remission of sins. Uh, in Acts 3 and verse 19, it says, repent, be converted. That would be baptism, right? If you uh, put those verses side by side. Repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And so when our sins are blotted out, they are completely removed from God's memory. God is incapable of even remembering those sins. Now, we can't do that today, can we? That's hard to do, isn't it? Uh, it's just like agape love. Agape love is treating somebody in the correct way, even though maybe the emotion's not there all the time. Like loving your enemies, you know, that doesn't mean you've got to have a warm, fuzzy feeling about those that are your enemies, but it's how you treat them. You bless them that curse you. You do good to them that hate you. You pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And so when God forgives, he puts it completely out of his memory. He blots them out. And if God does that, that's what we need to strive to do. We don't need to be, you know, like the man who buried the hatchet, right? But he said, I'm going to leave the handle sticking out of the ground in case I need to come back to this again sometime. We don't, we don't need to be like that. Uh, we need to just bury it and leave it alone. Uh, secondly, though, as we think about how God forgives, he chooses to put the wrong out of his memory. Just a couple of passages here. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. Uh, God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Not only are our offenses removed from the record, but he will remember those sins no more. It's, it's like a Psalms chapter 103 and verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now you think about east and west, as far as it can go. Where does it end? We don't know where it ends, right? I mean, I mean, how far does east and west go if we just keep going, you know, uh, as far as, you know, out in the universe or wherever? It's unending, you know. And so that's how far God removes our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, it's unfathomable how far God will remove our sin from us. So that's how God forgives. And uh, also, God receives us back unconditionally treating us just like he did before we sinned. That's just an amazing concept to me. God, no matter what I've done, there is nothing you can do that you can't be forgiven of. You can commit the worst atrocities known to man. And if you do what the Bible says you need to do to be forgiven, to have those sins washed away, 
uh, God will see you as if you never even committed those sins. And you think about the Apostle Paul and what he was guilty of. Paul said, I persecuted the church even unto death. I was exceedingly mad against them. I entered into the houses of Christians and committed men and women to prison. Paul was actually responsible for the death of Christians. And you can understand why when Paul was converted that you know, those early Christians were somewhat skeptical about that. I would be too, wouldn't you? Huh? Well, he said he's the chief of sinners, but, you know, I would think maybe Paul's just trying to use this as a ploy to get in with us, right? He's going to get us all. I'd be very skeptical. Uh, but we need to understand that God received Paul as if he had never committed those things before once he obeyed the gospel. One of the best examples is the prodigal son, right? You know, the man had two sons. The younger son said, give me of my inheritance, and the father gave it to him. And the Bible talks about that younger son going off uh, and living uh, out in the world, wasting his substance on riotous living. And, of course, we know the story to make it short. Uh, he came to himself. He hit rock bottom as he was feeding swine. And uh, he said, I'm going to do something about this. I will arise and I'll go back to my father, and I'll even say to my father, I don't even want to be considered your son anymore. Uh, please, just make me like a hired servant. And, of course, uh, we know the account of when the son was a great way off. His father saw him, and it makes you think about what he saw in the distance, right? I, I get the impression that that father was always looking for that son to come home. You know, I've heard church members say before, if somebody has become unfaithful to God as a child of God, I'm not going to... I'm not going to go after them. It's not my responsibility, you know. I even heard a, an elder one time say that. You know, here's a, a member of the church that became unfaithful. It's not my job to go out, you know, and, and force him to come back. Uh, you know, Jesus ran to him, and that's what we have to do. Uh, the Bible says that father looked out there, and as he was watching, as I'm sure he did almost every day, you know, somebody's coming in the distance that maybe looks like his son, but, you know, that couldn't be my son. This guy looks like he's been through it. He's all tattered and clothes are torn. He looks pitiful. He's awful looking. And then he starts noticing how the son walks. And yes, that's my son. And the Bible says he ran to him. He fell on his neck and kissed him. Open acceptance to that son to come back home. Uh, put a robe on him. Uh, put shoes on his feet. Ring on his finger. He was restored to his former position without question whatsoever. And so that's how God forgives, you know. Some people think, well, I just don't know if I can come back to church anymore. I've done so many bad things, I don't think I could be forgiven. Well, God will forgive you. And I think one reason why we have a hard time with God forgiving us is we can't forgive ourselves. If I know that God has forgiven me, I can forgive myself. I can forgive myself. And I need to understand that when God forgives me, this is how he does forgives me. He accepts me back uh, into full sonship. And in the marriage relationship, it's imperative that a couple learn uh, to be forgiving as God is. We have no choice. Number one, the Bible demands it. Number two, Jesus' example demands it. You think about Jesus there on the cross, dying the just for the unjust. He had done nothing wrong. They mocked him. They beat him with that scourge. They put those nails in his hands and his feet. And amazingly, 
you know, he would say from that cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have to follow the example of Jesus uh, in forgiveness. Also, we need to think about how love demands that we forgive. And that great chapter on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, those, those adjectives that describe how love behaves and how love acts, you know, that demands that we forgive one another. You can't really love without it. I think fair. Go ahead. Well, well, uh, you know, Peter. Uh, Peter thought he did it right. You know, seventy times. You know, seven times he he did it. What the rabbi said and added. Added some extra, doubled it, and added one to it, you know. Seven times, is that okay, Master? Jesus said 70 times seven. Now, when it comes to the marriage relationship, you can forgive somebody, but you don't have to let them run over you. If they're not exemplifying repentance, genuine repentance, you can always forgive them, but you can always have the attitude, I'm not putting myself through this anymore. I don't have to put my... You're, forg you're, you're forgiven, uh, but... You know, if you're talking about uh, sexual unfaithfulness or something like that, you know, Jesus gave the exception there. I don't think Jesus said, you know, you don't have to forgive that person. Uh, I think you certainly need to forgive them, but you don't have to stay married to them. You know, he, he, he knew that that could not take place. And, you know, sometimes you do the best that you can do, and maybe here's an individual, one of the spouses has a problem with alcohol. Just will not give it up for whatever reason. Or uh, there comes a time when, you know, as a human being, you've had all you can stand. And uh, you just have to say, no, it, uh, hard love, tough love, you know. Maybe you have to do that with a child sometimes. Uh, that's really, really hard when you have to exemplify tough love uh, to a child. Uh, but that's a little bit different than saying I'm not going to forgive them for anything, you know. Uh, there, are, there are consequences to our sins. There are consequences to our decisions uh, that are going to take place even though we may forgive somebody. God can forgive us. Uh, for example, uh, here's a person that, uh, let's just say, has smoked all of his life and now he's got bad emphysema. That individual may obey the gospel, become a Christian maybe at a later age, and uh, he still doesn't have long to live. Uh, you know, God will forgive that person. His sins are washed away, but it's not going to take away the physical consequences of that sin. And we need to understand that, too. Does that help you at all? Okay. All right. Appreciate that. And so, uh, you know, we just need to realize love demands it. Uh, but, you know, that kind of works both ways, doesn't it? You know, uh, if I want God to forgive me, uh, God's not going to continue to forgive me over and over again if I'm unwilling to repent of it. God knows if I genuinely have repented of my sin. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm not going to make mistakes sometimes. Uh, uh, but am I putting forth the effort to try to change, to try to do better? That's a difference. Uh, what about fairness? Fairness, I think, demands uh, that we forgive. Uh, we need to practice the golden rule, don't we? Do unto others as if they would have them do unto you. And also... Their forgiveness is dependent upon it. Uh, if you want God's forgiveness, you have to forgive. That's a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. 
you know, the Bible makes it very plain that if you will not forgive somebody their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. I want God to forgive me, don't I? I hope you want God to forgive you. I don't want to do anything to interfere with that. But I destroy the bridge over which God's going to forgive me if I'm not willing to forgive somebody else for what they've done toward me. And there's absolutely nothing that anybody could ever even imagine doing toward me that I haven't done much worse toward God. We need to understand how bad sin is and what sin actually does. Uh, there is nothing that anybody could ever even think about doing to you that is worse than what you've done to God. Uh, and what God has done manifesting his forgiveness toward us is truly, truly amazing. And so I want to be forgiven by, by God, therefore I need to be forgiving toward my spouse. I need to be forgiving toward other people. Quickly, as you think about Ephesians 4 and verse 32, as we think about this attitude of forgiveness, uh, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Think about these things quickly. God forgives us freely. No strings attached. If we repent of our sins, God will forgive us. God also forgives us abundantly. It's not piecemeal forgiveness. I'll forgive you, but I'm putting you on probation. You know, God also forgives us immediately. You know, there's no waiting period about this. When God forgives, it happens just like that, immediately. Also, God forgives finally and completely. It's never brought up again. It's totally erased from God's mind. And then lastly, God will forgive repeatedly. Again and again and again and again, God always will forgive. And we need to understand that. All right, any questions on forgiveness being an attitude that will contribute to a happy marriage. Anything you want to add to that? And so, you know, husband and wife, no matter what they've done, no matter how angry they may become, they need to be willing to forgive uh, that spouse. You know, it may be just those little things, right, that come up from time to time. Uh, you know, we need to be forgiving. All right, quickly I want to introduce the next attitude, uh, and that is an unselfish attitude will contribute to a happy marriage. Let's define selfishness. Uh, I guess I could define selfishness by looking in the mirror at me sometimes, you know. I, I, I'm selfish sometimes. There's things that I want done and the way I want it done, and uh, I need it done now. But selfishness, according to Webster's Dictionary, is being excessively concerned for one's own welfare at the expense or the disregard of others. Think about this definition too. He also says it's concentrating on one's own pleasure and one's own well-being without regard to others. You ever known of somebody that's totally self-centered? Totally focused on self? They're really miserable people, aren't they, when you get around to it? Uh, you know, it's hard to really love and accept somebody uh, as a friend, you know, when they have that selfish type of mentality. And uh, this concept is in direct conflict with God's will, which says very plainly in the book of Philippians 2 and verse 3, look not merely on your own things, but look also on the things of others. Uh, don't uh, 
you, you consider the needs of others. You consider others better than yourselves. Now, you think about how that would change our world today. You know, if I considered others better than me, if I put others' needs and wants and desires uh, above my own, this world would completely change. It, it would uh, completely revolutionize the marriage relationship, wouldn't it? We always put the interest of others above our own. And so selfishness is an attitude that's very destructive. And if we want to have happy marriages, we need to be unselfish. And uh, as we think about this, as we think about how it uh, relates to husbands and wives, they need to endeavor to put one another first in their relationship because, you know, that's inherent in that command to leave father and mother and to cleave into your wife and become one flesh. That's a totally unselfish move. I'm leaving the past behind. Uh, I, I'm uh, giving my wife or my husband uh, the higher degree of relationship now. Their needs and wants come before my parents or any other members of my family. Uh, I've left them, and I'm clinging uh, to that spouse. Uh, that's a total act of unselfishness. That's what it actually means. And I think a husband and wife will act unselfishly in their marriage and if we do a number of things. I'm going to mention one before we have to quit tonight. I think a husband and wife will act unselfishly in marriage when, number one, they treat their mate the way they want to be treated, practicing the golden rule. I love the golden rule. The golden rule solves all problems, doesn't it? You know, doing for the other person what you would want them to do to you if you were in their situation. Always putting the other person before you. Uh, you think about uh, all the bickering that takes place in a Walmart parking lot trying to find a parking place at Christmas time, right? You know, if everybody practiced the golden rule, what would happen? I bet you that front parking place, somebody else would like to have that. I'm going to drive around and park toward the back, you know. Now, I'm not going to do that. If, the, if it's open, I'm taking it, you know. <laughs> I'm just, but, you know, that would avoid a lot of, of fights, wouldn't it, right? You know, what do you mean running in front of me like that and getting that particular place or whatever? The golden rule affects what we say to each other, how we treat one another, how we feel about each other. We need to practice the golden rule. And uh, a husband and wife will act unselfishly in their relationship if they can practice the golden rule in their lives. You think about the words that uh, you speak. You think about how you say things. Uh, sometimes we're just prone, I know I am sometimes, to, to say something without really considering and thinking about how I said it, right? I, I may not mean it most of the time the way it comes across, right? But sometimes we say something we don't think about, you know, how it might come across. And that's important, too. And uh, if we're always thinking about how our actions and how our words and how our attitudes impact somebody else, if somehow we can begin to do that, uh, it's going to make not only for a happier individual, it's going to make for a happier relationship. So I'm going to stop right there for tonight and just say that next week we're going to finish up these attitudes that we need to have in order to, to maintain a happy marriage, and we're going to begin some new material that, uh, we're probably going to take on to the end of July some kind of summarization 
of all this idea that kind of puts it all together. But thank you so much for your attention. I appreciate you uh, for listening tonight.